The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 16th and 47th in Seattle's U District. We got plenty of time to listen to and talk about Christmas music. As for me, I'm, I'm not a, hey, as soon as Halloween is done, bust out the Christmas music. But I'm also not necessarily the, I, uh, the, I gotta wait until after Thanksgiving guy either. I'm good, I'm good with kind of the week of Thanksgiving. That's when I'm gonna bust out a little bit of Harry Connick Jr. When my heart finds Christmas, it's good. My wife, my wife always wants to bust out Amy Grant. Anybody in here know who Amy Grant is? Okay, you guys know who Amy Grant is. See, I had, I had a, a professor friend of mine who, who uh, brought up Amy Grant in a class and nobody knew who Amy Grant was. He posted it on Facebook. He's like, it happened today that, that in my, my freshman class, nobody knew who Amy Grant was. And one of the first posts under it was, wow, their Christmases must suck. <laughs> which, is pretty, which is pretty funny. Hey, uh, before we get started tonight, I want to talk about something that I have not yet talked about at all this year. So for those of you who are here for the first time, welcome. So glad you're here uh, at the end. We hope that you feel welcome here and that this is a place for you. Um, but tonight, I want to invite you all to, uh, if this has been a place where you've found community, to participate in supporting uh, this place through giving. Um, we have this thing that we have just now started here in the month of November that we call the Apple Cup Challenge, okay? Some of you are familiar that we have a sister ministry over at Washington State University that was actually launched out of the inn here in Seattle. And every year we have a, a friendly fundraising competition uh, with them. And this year at stake in this competition is that our beloved interns, um, in a wager with their beloved interns, uh, whichever side raises the least amount of money has to get up in the other school's garb and sing their fight song in front of the inn. So I appeal to all of you that unless you want to see our beloved interns and have to take time to sing the Wazoo fight song, wearing cougar stuff here, please help us give or, or help us beat the cougs in the Apple Cup Challenge. Uh, but as I talk about that, the thing I want you to know is that it is this church which is profoundly generous uh, that makes the funds available to do things like make, uh, make the space available, turn on the lights, turn on the heat, make the sound happen, pay my salary. You guys are like, you know, well, we don't really care about that. I don't blame you. Okay, but the way that we like to talk about that is to say that there is a church here in the U District that picks up, they pick up the tab. And what I'm inviting you to do uh, through this thing that we call the giving box and through the Apple Cup Challenge is to really pick up the tip. Uh, if you can help us in picking up the tip, that would be great. Again, if you're here for the first time, feel free to tune me out on that. Uh, but know that, that talking about money isn't something that we do every week. But it is a discipline in our, in our journey as, as Christians that we are people who relinquish uh, what we have. And so uh, I invite you to give, uh, particularly if this is your community. Okay, there, I'm done, I said it. There's the giving box. Okay, 
last week, as was mentioned, we did a prayer night. We earlier in the quarter we looked at Jesus' double love command. And tonight we're gonna we're gonna start a a new series. Um, as we noted earlier with the question, um, and TJ told us, hey, 63 days here in Seattle. Uh, that's what we're in, and it's only 16 days to Thanksgiving. Okay, is it, I know, isn't that crazy? Is it me, or has this quarter just totally uh, flown by? Only 16 more days. There's only, there's, after tonight, there's only four more ends in fall quarter. Okay, when you put it in, in the context of ends, you're like, there's only four more of these things? Man, things really are, are flying by. Um, now, for those of you who said, hey, game on with the holiday music right now, you're going to love what we're going to be doing here throughout November. For those of you that like to wait until December, bear with me here, because what, uh, what we want to do here in November is really kind of a Christmas series. Um, there's two goals that I have for us here in November. Simply, the first is to prepare our hearts for Christmas. Okay, the four weeks leading up to Christmas is a, is a season that the church calls Advent. And as we are all aware, things around the holiday season can get crazy in a hurry. Especially for those of you who are in class right now, uh, you come back from Thanksgiving, you have to study for finals, you have to take finals. Many of you will have travel arrangements, you, you have a number of parties that you're trying to go to, getting caught up with family and friends, and it is a fun season for most of us. It is also an incredibly crazy season. Well, in my experience, I've found that though Advent is set aside to help us remember the meaning uh, of Christmas, to, pre to prepare our hearts, often by the time we get, after, get past Thanksgiving, things are so crazy that we don't get a chance to do it. And so the thought that, that we had as a staff that, that I hope that we can get to is to take November that you guys might have a Christmas where you're able to identify and see the meaning in a way that maybe you don't usually get to because you haven't prepared for it. So we're going to take November to get our Christmas lenses on, so to speak. My second hope is this, is that in our faith, we can often get into particular rhythms. Uh, we can, e even, even at Christmas, we have, we have traditions that we love, but that can kind of keep us in a, in a type of tunnel vision in the way that we see and experience God. And so my hope is that as we continue here through November, I want to perhaps prime the pump and invite you to expect something new from God, to perhaps experience something new uh, with your God. Okay, so two goals that we have here in November. Prepare your hearts for Christmas and maybe see or experience something new from God. Two goals, two pretty big goals. Because of that, we should pray as we get started. Lord, uh, as we start talking about Christmas, Lord, let us not jump the gun. But we would ask that you would prepare our hearts for the season that is before us and that you would help us wake up and be attentive to who you are and what you are doing in our world, uh, in and through us, around us. And so we come tonight because we are seeking something beyond what we normally experience, what we normally see and articulate. So Lord, we think that what we're seeking is you. So help us as we seek to know you more. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, as we dive into this November, 
and what we're going to do here in November, we want to enlist the prophet Isaiah as a conversation partner. Okay, Isaiah is a book in the Old Testament. That's the part of your Bible where the pages are still stuck together. You probably haven't read it a whole bunch. Okay, uh, but I, Isaiah is, can sometimes be a very intimidating book. It's a very long book. It, it, is, it is just dripping with great content, but, but sometimes we, we get intimidated because we don't know what's going on. Uh, the material does seem, seem pretty dense, and we, we're, not, we're not totally sure what's being talked about. So tonight as we get started, I, I, I want to give you a bit of a lesson on how to read the prophets, and in this case, Isaiah, and hope set the table that we might understand things a little bit uh, clearer as we uh, spend some time in November looking at four different snapshots uh, from Isaiah that I think help prepare our hearts for Christmas. So three questions that you need to ask when you read the prophets. And so let's, uh, let's take a look at those three questions as we start a little bit of a journey through Isaiah. Okay, so the first question is simply this. What in the world is happening? Okay, what's happening? So we come to, in this case, Isaiah 52 and 53. What is happening uh, that's really the subtext is that the people of Israel are in exile. That is, they have been driven from their homeland in Judah, this land that they know from, from stories and from their ancestors that they believe God had promised to them. So as, as they, had, they had believed this, well, what happened was uh, empires around them and, and foreign kings came in and drove them from Jerusalem kind of to on the left side of this map and drove them out of this land and all the way through that red arc, through the desert, desert into Babylon, where they, uh, did I just say desert? <laughs> desert? Okay, so these people are, are basically living as refugees. Okay, when you, th- when you hear the word exile, the word that we use a lot more in our culture to to talk about that type of, of condition or state is going to be more talking about, about refugees. So when we talk about what's happening here, we can talk a little bit about it as, as if the people of Israel, God's chosen people who had been promised this land, are now living as refugees in Babylon. But what has happened as we come to this latter part of Isaiah is that there has been this promise that you are going to get to go back to this land that was promised to you. Though you have been here for several generations, and the people who would be be receiving this message, they likely would not have ever lived in Jerusalem. They would not have ever been in the promised land. Instead, they have only heard about it. But they're getting to return to the land of their forefathers, They're getting to return to the land that they believe that God had promised to them. So this is is a big deal. I know that that some of us might be able to to relate to this. My grandfather is from Kingsport, Tennessee, okay? And he would, as I was growing up, he would constantly tell stories about our family and where they were from in Kingsport, Tennessee. I had never been to Kingsport, Tennessee, but it was this, this land that felt like a type of homeland. 
So for these people, they would hear these stories of their ancestors, much like I would have heard about Kingsport as this special place where there is, this is our place. It had been the place that, that my grandfather had grown up, a very special place. And it would be as if I was getting a plane ticket or an opportunity to go there. So what's happening? These refugees are getting the green light to go back. Second, who's talking? So we come to Isaiah, and as we come to the text that we'll read here in a few minutes. We are reading the words, of course, that are attributed to the prophet Isaiah. Prophets, generally speaking, are simply God's proxy, okay, the, the messenger that is carrying the message of the Lord. Throughout the book of Isaiah, you see phrases such as, this is what the sovereign Lord says. This is what the Lord, the Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel says. So there are words attributed to Isaiah, but it is the Lord, by and large, in most cases, that is the one talking through Isaiah. Uh, several years ago, I went to this, this conference um, that comes out of, out of uh, business. Okay, it's this, they call it this, it's run by a guy named David Allen Cook. And it's one of these things that's, in, that's designed to make you as productive at work as you could possibly be. It, it, it's designed to help you be efficient with how you organize everything and with your email and all. And, you know, one of those things that, that you're sitting there and you, I found myself thinking, they're trying to make me mildly, if not excessively, OCD. Okay? They're really trying to, to get me to fit into this system. Well, the guy presenting was not David Allen Cook himself, this business guru that is like the master of productivity. But the guy that was there might as well have been David Allen Cook. Like he was totally bought into this whole system and the way that, that he would color code his email and, and the way that he did his filing system it was actually quite impressive. Okay, he might as well have been David Allen Cook because he was so bought into this message that he was giving to all of us that had paid, you know, literally hundreds of dollars to be at this seminar. Okay, similar is a, a prophetic messenger of God like Isaiah, totally sold out on the message of God. So much so that there is emotion that goes with it. Even the emotion that they bring can also be kind of the proxy message of God. So as we read this, we, also, we catch not only the words that are involved, but we try to, to catch some of the emotion that's there as well. So who's talking? Isaiah. But it's really the Lord talking through Isaiah. Okay? Third, of course, who is being spoken to? In this case, it is that group of exiles. It is the refugees who are disappointed, if not confused, after hearing these great stories about their God who had led the people out of a land of slavery, out of, a land, uh, um, out of the land of Egypt, into a place that had been promised to them. Of course, as they hear these stories of, of what we popularly know as the Exodus, it is these same people who are saying, our God reigns. But then that same group of people is driven from their promised land. On the one hand, because of things that they did. They worshiped foreign gods. They were sacrificing to idols in the high places. Their own sin led to a bit of an exile. And of course, they were victims as well. Foreign kings, invaders, empires would come in 
and in this case, sweep them off to a place like Babylon. Okay, that, that whole situation, driven from their land, left them saying, not, not our God reigns, but asking the big question, where is our God? God, I thought you were there to protect us and to deliver us. And now we find ourselves in exile for generations? Where are you? And now we're getting this message after we had, after we had set up our houses and established ourselves in this new land. Now you're saying, go home? God, where are you? What is going on here? So who is being addressed? A group of refugees who are disappointed and confused. So what's happening? The beginning of it, of really a new exodus, a road trip back. A road trip prompted by the one who speaks, God, to this group of refugees. So with that in mind, let's take a look at Isaiah 52, beginning at verse 11 tonight. And here's what it says. Depart, depart. Go out from there. Touch no unclean thing. Come out from it and be pure, you who carry the articles of the Lord's house. But you will not leave in haste or go out in flight. For the Lord will go before you. The God of Israel will be your rear guard. Where is our God? Ask the people. Where is our God? And the prophet answers the question before you and behind you. The mandate is to go back, to leave this place, to go on this road trip knowing that God is with you. They would go back to this place that they had heard about, to their new home, with the assurance via the prophet Isaiah, God is with you. Not only when you get there, God is with you right now. Where is our God? Right here. But in the midst of exile, in the midst of going, how did we end up here? Lord, weren't you the one that delivered us? How is it that, that this guy Nebuchadnezzar in this, this empire, how could he be the one that wins? How could we end up in this condition once again? Where are you, God? Right there. This is a common experience for us, I think, a lot of the time. That, that thing that we are looking for, that thing that we seek, is really right in front of us. Last spring, and really at the end of every school year, the UMIN staff, we, we take a, a little retreat at the end of the year, and it's an opportunity for us to evaluate the year and, and, and just share about how do we see God at work and what we did this year. It's a, t it's a time for us to affirm the interns before they head off. And last year, uh, for our end of the year retreat, we were headed north of the border up to Canada, and as we're getting ready to head out, um, I... I'm getting ready to hop in the car with Janie and say, oh, gosh, I, you know, I forgot my passport. Let's swing by my house and pick it up really quick. I know right where it's at. So I, you know, because I'd been to the DR a few months earlier. So get out of the car, go up, and go to the table 
where I had set my passport and it's not there. And I start looking around, you know, I, I, go, I go to this, the, uh, another place where we have previously kept our passports, it's not there. Okay, well, long story short, okay, about an hour later in a totally rummaged and pillaged house, papers everywhere, okay, there is no passport. We come back to the office, we get a photocopy of my passport and we had, that, that we had from the, the DR trip and go north of the border, which, by the way, worked like a charm. No problem getting through the border with a photocopied passport. Okay, come back, because I had some international uh, travel planned for later, I immediately went down to the, the consulate down here, uh, downtown Seattle, get my picture taken, do, do all that thing, you know, order a new passport, have it expedited, several hundred dollars to do so, as some of you may or, or may not know, and uh, went on my other trip. And as I was gone on my other trip, my wife calls and says, oh, by the way, I found your passport. <laughs> I was like, no way, I, where was it? And she was like, she tells me where it was, and it was on the first place that I looked, but I don't know what happened. It was in the middle of a magazine. I was using my passport for a bookmark. <laughs> Who uses their passport for a bookmark? Okay, it was wedged in a magazine. So, you know, now uh, that passport is no longer valid. I've got a brand new one. Picture's way better. So that's at least something, <laughs> something redeeming about it. But the passport was right there the whole time. But it was in a condition of which I could not see it, wedged into the middle of Golf Digest, okay? Of course, I'm not going to look into Golf Digest to find my passport. But my passport was there nonetheless. In the chaos and the confusion, in the messiness of the exile, what was right there was just for these, these refugees unable to be seen. They were expecting to see something perhaps later on, but not in this place. They were unable to see what Isaiah was saying is before you and behind you. It is right there with you. Well, the description, once we get this description, we perhaps have a bit of, of empathy for these exiles because what is described is something way different than they were probably anticipating. We pick it up in 52, verse 13, and we'll continue into uh, chapter 53. It says this, See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness, so he will sprinkle many nations and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see, and what they have not heard, they will understand. Who has believed the message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by others. A man of suffering, familiar with pain, like one whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him of low self-esteem. 
what the people expected was something that looked a lot more like a king. Perhaps the kings that had overpowered them and taken them off into exile. Perhaps the the kings of old from their own nation. What their expectation was of somebody who would deliver them was something majestic. Even in the election that is concluding tonight, it seemed that one of the things that the media kept hammering on, even in the, the, especially in the midst of Hurricane Sandy, was which of the presidential candidates looks more presidential? Who has a more presidential demeanor? We like things to look powerful and to look stable, to look tidy. What was just described here is far from that. What was described here was not someone who looks presidential or who looks kingly. What is described here is a servant. A servant that would be willing to suffer. A servant willing to be with the people. A servant willing to get dirty. A servant willing to enter the mess. What they expected was something very different from what Isaiah was promising to them. Well, not only what they were expecting was different, where they were expecting it was also different. The invitation to return to their homeland in Israel, to return to the city of Jerusalem, uh, one of the popular mentalities would have been, once we get there, then the glory of the Lord will be restored and, uh, and God's favor will be among us. What Isaiah is saying, no, God is with you even right now. And God is with you in the mess, in the chaos. One of the things that I love about this passage is the, the image that I have is, is of walking up to that which is this promised servant, this servant who will be a king, and we would walk up to it and go, what is this? This is disgusting. I can, I don't, what is this? I can't even recognize what it is. It is so messy and disfigured. Where the people were looking, where they expected to find their deliverer, their redeemer, where they expected it looked a lot more like a palace, where they were promised it looks a lot more like a mess. Two huge expectations, what they were looking for and where they were looking for it were totally flipped. It concludes, this, this song con- uh, concludes by saying, surely he took up our pain and bore our sufferings. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. You see, what's promised is that this servant will heal This king will heal by being a servant 
and entering into the mess. This is telling us of who Jesus Christ is. And the image of Jesus is not one that merely stands or hovers above and reaches down a hand and says, come on, keep coming, let's go. But rather, this suffering service, the one that we know as Jesus, is one who gets in the pit, who is with us in the chaos and the mystery and the messiness of life and is actually willing to get in there and lift us out of that pit. That's what the suffering servant, the suffering king is all about. So what? So what do we do with this promise of a mess and this promise of a God that is present? It's around this. Pay attention. The beginning of chapter 52 that that we just read here tonight begins with saying, awake, awake. Pay attention. Pay attention, and I want you to pay attention to two things. Pay attention and expect God to show up right now. Expect God to show up in the day-to-day that you have right now. Not when the quarter's over. Not when all the conditions are right. But pay attention for how God might be showing up in your life right now. I love that when TJ was up here earlier he, he noted that, you know, I'm living in a, in a fraternity and it's not necessarily the most Christian place you might ever find yourself. But it, certainly my own story reminds me that when I was a student here at the University of Washington and living in a fraternity, it was in that same type of environment where, where, where it was precisely that Jesus got my attention. Paying attention to it now, not when I moved out, not when when all of the sin was removed, but paying attention right now. Because the promise of Isaiah to his people that would be returning from exile is that God is before you and behind you. He is with you right now, not merely when you get back to Jerusalem. Pay attention to see how God is with you right now. The second is this. Expect God to show up in the mess. Our lives are messy. Sometimes they're a mess not because of anything that you did, but because of things that have happened to you. Other times, we end up in a mess because of decisions that we have made. Poor decisions, we might even call it sin, but nonetheless, we end up in a mess. It is precisely in that that mess and being perhaps disenfranchised and disoriented that we have the opportunity when we admit that we are in the mess, whether we got there ourselves or whether we just happened to be there, that we can be most attentive to who God is and our need for that. I grew up in in a family where divorce has a rich and storied history. And it is absolutely um, accepted and permissible. And for, for me, it has also been a source of the, of the great mess that our family has had to live into. But it has also been in that mess that I have seen God work in incredible ways. Not before everybody got themselves right, but right in the middle of the mess. 
Look at the mess in your own life. Whether it is something that you've brought about yourself or that you simply find yourself in. Perhaps it's just the confusion of trying to figure out what I'm going to study or who I should date. Whatever that mess may be, to look for how God might be redeeming that. Because there is nothing, so this text reminds us, there's no mess that God isn't willing to get into with us. And in in fact, it is precisely that mess where Jesus resides. So right now, not later, right now, in the mess that you may find yourself, pay attention. Jesus is there. And the invitation is for you to be redeemed far more than you think you might ever be. Let's pray. Father, help us to be attentive to your presence. Help us to know your spirit is with us. Help us to know that you are capable of redeeming far more than we would ever give you credit for. Uh, Lord, may we expect you to show up in the mess. Uh, So, Lord, be with us as we continue on here in November. Uh, Lord, we ask that you would make uh, this Christmas a special one for us. Lord, thank you for who you are in our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand with us, please? Let's continue to worship our God.